Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Orlando Eastwood, director of On the Road, The Search for Bigfoot, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We got some more touristic you for you today. So I'm just going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we're on the second book, Cal's Quandary, and this is uh, the story titled Grinoak's Borden. Grinoak's. Anyways, apparently I just can't say my own stuff that I wrote. Who wrote this anyways? Anyways, uh, here we go. I'll just get started. Maker plopped a gadget on the table of the conference room. It was a box with various antennae sticking out and a giant vacuum clamp on the bottom. Cal's most trusted associates gazed at the device. There was a window overlooking space on one side and the Tristicue adornments on the other. The crew offered to scrap the Tristicue logos, emblems, and other such decorations from the ship. For the most part of the vessel, Cal let them. However, she kept this room as a reminder of where they had acquired the dervish. What is it? Sid asked, with his bird-like friend poked at the object. It's a long-range sensor jammer, for all intents and purposes, Maker said. It only works within a couple of meters of the main sensor cluster and feeds loop data stream of an empty region of space. So they were able to hide the armada by making us think nothing was out there, Cal asked. Yes, but they're easy to thwart. Any close inspection of the Bodex data would reveal that it's not real stars around the ship. The real question is how did it get attached to the ship's hull? Grenork asked. After leaving the fleet of snaps behind, Hayden and Maker went out to repair the sensors, only to find out they were not damaged at all, but receiving false data from the device. We can rule out any crew members. The implants create a log of everyone who leaves the ship and anyone was accounted for, Maker said. Based on our long-range sensor historical data, I would have to say it was installed on our hall at the last port. But we were there for a few hours at most, Hayden said. Are you saying someone was waiting to spacewalk out to our ship on the off chance we'd show up? 
If someone had contact with the Touristic U forces, they might be able to track the outpost we have raided and use the data to forecast the stations which we'd be most likely to use as a pit stop. It wouldn't be unreasonable to think they would send agents to each one, Maker conjectured. That still doesn't explain how the snaps arrived so quickly, Hayden said. Perhaps it wasn't luck the fleet was nearby the station where we happened to dock. It would take three separate clusters of ships to have nearby most of the stations we could possibly end up given our last few encounters with the Touristicue. Cal interjected, If what you're saying is true, then our attacker would have such deep pockets that they could afford two-thirds of their forces to sit around and wait. We could rule out the Touristicues, said said. They would cut beds from their dying grandma if it saved money. Ouch, man, Hayden said. Not all humans are cheap. If humans spent money on clothes like you, they go bankrupt. Earth, Sid said, and the bird, like, chirped in approval. I enjoy looking good. I think we can rule out the UPE less because they are cheap, but more because using Snap-52s is like sending the Little League players to go against your Major League team. The United Plans of Earth aren't hiring mercs, but Cartarians are so low on the threat scale they don't even bother annexing their planet. So who could afford to buy off the entire Cantarian military and wants us dead? The answer is obvious. Grenork was getting annoyed with the conversation. My brother is the puppet master of this act. With all due respect to your people, Hayden said, they can afford to hire the entire Cartarian fleet. Uh, I don't care if you have a diamond planet, mercs aren't cheap, and armies, they're a little bit more expensive. The Cartarians are subjects of the barony and will do the bidding of the baron, Grenork said. Intriguing, Maker said. Orcandus historically do not share control of their wealth and territories with other races and do not allow other species into their army. It is by far one of the largest single-race controlled regions of space, even if it's only a fraction the size of the UPE. My brother has no respect for the old ways. But what do the Katarians get from joining the barony? Hayden asked. I mean, if they were going to get jerked around by an authority, the UPE would be a much better bet. Maybe the UPE threatened Carter. Uh, they, they, they joined the parody, right? Sid said. As much as you think the UPE are a bunch of touristicues, they still have a code of ethics, Hayden interjected. I'll admit, there are a few bad apples in the UPE, but that doesn't mean all of them are. You were on Earth, you can see they value diversity. Calm down, Cal said. This is not an indictment of your species. Our species... Hayden said, yes, ours, but Cal didn't really feel right about it. Even though half her genes came from a human father, she didn't feel like an earthling. She identified as a Negromodian, or a forest sister to be more precise. Even the term Negromodian was UPE, just like the word Cartarian. Even if a race in the galaxy didn't want anything to do with humans, they still had to deal with Earth's influence. One of the biggest human influences was the common language of the United Planets of Earth. Sarge had taught her the strange tongue when he helped build her cabin, and she learned more in prison and then refined it when she became a pirate. It was the native language of Earth, yet most of the races in the galaxy seemed to speak it. Even the Shusharian Collective, the only other galactic empire that didn't have to bend to the UPE's wishes, spoke human during interspecies relations. 
Maker had explained that the preponderance of Earthling language was because of intergalactic trade. Since humans had such short lifespans and spread out fast and early, the chances of conducting business between two star species who never met each other were much higher if they knew how to speak human. Human was an amalgamation of English, Spanish, Chinese, and TXT speech and other ancient languages. It became the language of business and trade and thus propagated throughout the galaxy for all those who couldn't afford translators. However, if a race didn't want to deal with humans, the best tactic was to keep themselves uninteresting to Earth. Carter and the Barony, joining forces, were too big of a military murder to go unnoticed by the UPE. If there was one thing the Touristicus were good at, it was making sure they were always the su supreme power by squashing others before they became problems. The only other option was that a merger between Carter and the Barony was useful to the IF. Cal could see Tretkik sending a fleet after them. The Armada had a certain Orkando beatstick quality to it. However, the trap felt like it was designed by a human. Only the UPE would have known all the targets they hit and could use the data to guess their possible location. However, if there's human involvement, why haven't they just sent IF ships? The Interstellar forces were smart tacticians. They knew the full capability of the Dervish. One thing was for sure, they could no longer raid the UPE depots. They needed proper works that, that no one entity would have enough data to track their movements. De Cal decided not to voice her concerns. The crew was already shaken by the fact they were nearly all killed. There was no sense in getting them to dwell on how worse it could be. If the Cartarians and the Barony join forces, they're willing to risk their fleet just to get you? Cal asked Grenork. The unwritten don't-ask-don't-tell policy of the crew members' past seemed trivial to uphold when it came to the safety of everyone else. It started on the day of my ascension, Grenork said. What? Aiden said. You're the Baron? I was going to be by right of Orkandu law and my father's wishes. Oh god, I feel like I should make some popcorn. This is not one of your movies. Continue your story. Cal interjected before they could get each other riled up again. Alright, very short one this week, but uh, come back next week for some more uh, uh, touristic you and some more of the uh, <coughs> exciting uh, movie reviews. Uh, so yeah, uh, by the way, this is my one of my last... Uh, well, this is my last set of podcasts that I'm recording here in uh, Billings, Montana. I'm moving to Butte, Montana. Uh, so, you know, there'll probably be a little bit of a, a lag between podcasts, depending on how quickly I get things settled down there. But I'm trying to record a bunch of them so I have time to uh, get everything settled. So, yeah, I'm, I'm moving. So no more Billings, Montana, Butte, Montana for me. Uh, my wife got a cool job out there. We couldn't, we could not pass up the opportunity. Uh, so yeah, we're going and Butte's a pretty cool town. For those of you that love old towns, Butte's about as old as they get. It's like the biggest historical district in, in the country. I mean, the little uptown area that's on the hill, it's, you know, like, like you, you think you're in like a really old part of New York. That's, that's what kind of like town it is. It's, it's huge. It's a really big, really old, uh, kind of cool. So I know for those of you on a, a paranormal podcast network, I'm sure there's some cool ghost stories on Butte. So, uh, Butte, Montana, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to check out, see if there's any ghost things happening in there. 
All right, well, uh, I will go ahead and uh, sign off and see you next time.